You're listening to Hardwired with Jeff Wickwire. Here's what's coming up in today's edition. He says, the law has no power over me now, says Paul to Peter. I'm dead to the law. Now I can live for God. Now I want us to read verse 20 together. Are you ready? Read it with me and preach it to me. I have been put up on the cross to die with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by putting my trust in the Son of God. He was the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Showing mercy to people who don't deserve it can be hard, if not impossible. We often find ourselves judging others and deciding who deserves mercy and who doesn't. Today, Pastor Jeff reminds us that no one deserves mercy, and God still gives it to all of us. Whether you're a Christian or not, none of us deserves to be forgiven, and through Jesus, we can be set free. Instead of spending your time getting bitter over others being shown undeserved mercy, Follow Jesus and be forgiven. Well, let's join Pastor Jeff in the book of Galatians chapter 3 as he continues his message, Paul, intimidated by no one. Well, I about had a heart murmur on the spot. I said, have you been stung or anything? No, why? Because these are, these are scorpions. Now what? Now stop and think a minute. Do you see what I'm saying? What is this lockjaw that has gotten on the church? Now next, Paul mentions the big names. Verse six, but from those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it didn't make any difference to me. He goes on to say, God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. (laughs) Peter, James, and John, Paul says, ah, they seem to be something. They didn't add anything to me. Paul's mention of the who's who's in Jerusalem suggests that the Judaizers had been busy trumpeting the praises of the Jerusalem church and its leaders in an attempt to undermine Paul. We can imagine them saying something like this to the Galatians. Man, you Galatians are making so much of this Paul guy. You should see and hear the real apostles. This Paul of yours wouldn't look so great once you heard a fiery message from Peter. Why, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 were saved in one message. What's this Paul guy? And they were holding up the Jerusalem church to undermine Paul. Paul's attitude was to give due respect to the Lord's original apostles, but he wasn't greatly impressed. God doesn't show favoritism. He says in verse 7 through 10, but on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was committed to Peter, Now, parenthetically, look what it says. He who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised or the Jew also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. Simon Peter had it going on with the Jews. Paul said, I've got it going on with the Gentiles. The same grace that's on Peter is on me. Now, I want you to look at what he goes on and says. And when James, Cephas, that is Peter, And John, who seemed to be pillars, what did they do? Read it with me. Perceive the grace that had been given to me. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now, I want to focus on that phrase. Let me go back and look at it. When they perceived, 
the grace that had been given to me. Folks, I can't tell you how important it is to judge people according to the grace that's on them and not by worldly standards. See, something happened here. They desired only, he says in verse 10, that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now, it's one thing to hear about a man, to hear rumors or to hear good or bad about a person, but it's another thing to meet him when you meet him in person. We've all had this experience. You heard a lot about somebody, then you finally met them. And and what you met may not have been what you heard, okay? The grace of God that was resting on Paul to reach the Gentiles was totally, clearly evident. Grace. Now remember, Paul had been under attack in the Galatian church. Judaizers from this church that James was overseeing were undermining him. So I'm going to speculate that James had heard some things, good or bad, about Paul. And yet, when he met him, he said, wow, this may not be everything that I heard because there's a grace on this man. There's an anointing on this man. Now, I want to go to a verse in Corinthians where Paul talks about this very thing. Paul wrote about the need to judge a person through spiritual discernment rather than the natural eye. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16. Quote, consequently, from now on, we estimate or judge and regard no one from a purely human point of view in terms of natural standards of value. Catch that, church. Very, very important. Because a lot of people don't go to church anymore because they were judged wrong. They were looked down on. They were criticized, they were rejected, they were treated uh, less than, they were looked at and judged by worldly standards. And some people come in now, pink hair, purple hair, blue hair, tatted all up and down, looking weird, earrings hanging out of every ears, nose, lips. Some people walk in, oh, hey, very different from you and me. But then I think I used to look that way to people in my day. I had hair down to here, skinny as a rail, bell-bottom blue jeans, wire rim glass, a hippie. And people used to look at me the same way. I remember walking into a church after I was saved, an official denominational church, and I never went back because I didn't have a suit. I didn't have a haircut. Everybody turned around and looked at me. No one said hello. And I got the distinct feeling that I was not one of them. But guess what? I was his, and I was born of God, but they they did this. They treated me by judging me through the natural eye. They didn't perceive the grace that was on me. Here's the worldly standards. The world judges people by how they dress, how much money they make, their pedigree, what family they were born into, Rockefeller what their education is. Do they say he ain't got no or he doesn't have any? (laughs) What they look like? What kind of car they drive? All these things. We look at people and we judge them. And we size them up based on these things. Now, what Paul is saying is that's not the way you judge people. That's not the way you look at somebody. That's not the way that you get an opinion about them. Because they may have a wonderful heart. 
They may know the Lord and love the Lord with all their heart. They may love him more than you do. So no matter what they look like, when they come walking into the church, they need to be received as Jesus has received us. I mean, if they look poor, if they look rich, if they look weird, if they look like us. And to them, we look weird. Have you ever thought about that? To them, we look weird. The disciples judge differently. I want you to notice this. This really jumped at me today. Paul says, when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived, discerned the grace that had been given to me. Literally, here's the way it reads. When they knew, discerned the gift, the favor of God on my life to reach the Gentiles. They didn't meet just Paul, okay? It wasn't just Paul. They weren't looking at Paul based on his past as a persecutor because, man, did he have one. They weren't judging him according to his vast educational credentials because his credentials were far beyond theirs. They weren't judging him by any of these worldly standards. They were judging him based on what they discerned in the Spirit of God. I used to work for a man at a radio station. He was a funny little guy. He was about this, this high, and he was rich, and... He owned this station, but he really loved the Lord. He'd been through some hard knocks, and he'd learned some hard lessons. And I was in a, one of the offices in the, in the radio station, and I heard somebody come in, or several people. I heard several voices, and I heard him say, Brother, it's so good to see you. My, 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 my. He always did that. My, 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 my. He said, get a chair, he, and he orders somebody to bring them chairs. And I'm sitting there thinking, has the mayor walked in? Who is this? Because he's acting like literally Jesus just walked in. So I sat and I, you know, the walls were thin and I could kind of hear him and well, how's it been going and how are you doing and what can we do for you? And his whole demeanor was, wow, he really thinks something of these people. Finally, I got up and I walked down the hall and I looked in. It was three missionaries, poor, disheveled, Clearly no money, nobody to write home about, in dirty clothes. And when I saw who they were, I was stunned. That's who he has been talking to? And I learned this from him. Discern the grace that's on people. Discern the grace that's on them. Judge them by the Spirit and not after the flesh. If you do that, you'll love them. You'll receive them. Do you know what a difference this would make in the church if we treated people this way? Discern their heart. Discern who they are in God. They discern the grace that was on Paul, and they said, whatever we've heard or haven't heard, what we see is spiritual. This man has a great grace on his life. So they sent him out to the Gentiles with their 110% blessing because of spiritual discernment. Folks, I'm telling you, this is one of the great problems in the church. There are going to be so many people not in church this weekend all over the country because they have been judged by those worldly standards and not been received in the grace of God. When I met Billy Graham, and I did, I've told you this story, but when I met him, he didn't treat me. I had long hair, blue jeans, bell bottoms, T-shirt, 
clearly fresh out of the hippie movement. He treated me like I was a president. I'll never forget it. They were discerning the gift, the calling, the grace of God on his life. They were judging who he was in Jesus Christ. Now notice the effect that this had. They gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They said, we get it. We discern you. You go, guy. You go win the Gentiles. The grace is on you. And because they judged him spiritually, they were able to bless the genuine call on his life. And Paul went out and shook the world and gave us two-thirds of the New Testament. Thank God. How often would it help us in receiving someone were we to see their value in Jesus. How advantageous it would be for all involved were we to look past all the worldly standards of judging and discern the grace, the gift, the calling on their life. What a powerful way to circumvent prejudice, fleshly judgmentalism, and rejection. Amen? Y'all are quiet tonight. Amen? Next, we find Paul in a very tense confrontation. Now, this really gets me. (laughs) Paul is really growing fast because he's about to stand right toe-to-toe with Peter and rebuke him. Look at what happens. Verse 11, chapter 2. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him. This is Paul talking. I withstood him to his face because he was what? To be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. Now, let me tell you what this is saying. Peter had gone to Antioch where the Gentile churches were, Paul's children in the faith. Peter went to visit at Paul's invitation. And so he says, before certain men came from James and from the Jerusalem church, before they got some visitors, he would eat with the Gentiles. Peter was at the table eating hot dogs and hamburgers with the Gentiles, enjoying the fish fries, enjoying being treated like a king. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Now, here's what had been going on. Peter had been playing a two-faced game at Antioch. Aren't you glad the Bible tells the truth about the people in it? Aren't you glad? Because if I'm trying to create a myth, I'm not going to talk this way about the heroes. But here's the truth. Peter had been playing a two-faced game in Antioch and drew down on his head the righteous indignation of the Apostle Paul, who was no respecter of persons. It turns out that Peter had visited the church in Antioch at Paul's invitation. This was the the church of Paul's Gentile converts. And while in Antioch, Peter was lionized by the Gentile believers. Like if Billy Graham walked in here right now, we would all go, the service would be over. They hung on his every word. They were thrilled to have the great apostle Peter in their midst. They put him on a pedestal. They were thrilled at the wholehearted endorsement of their churches, the warm-hearted good fellowship in their homes with the great Simon Peter himself. Then some newcomers had arrived in town from Jerusalem. He says, from James, the half-bro of Jesus. Immediately, Peter changed his tune when he saw the Jewish brethren and he became intimidated. It's hard to escape the conclusion that when news reached Jerusalem of Peter's hearty fraternization with Gentile Christians, 
The ultra-Jewish James sent some representatives to Antioch to tell him, hey, Peter, cool it. Chill. What are you doing? These people have not embraced any level of Judaism. These are Gentiles. We're above them. God would have to deal with James later. Peter caved in. Peter caved in. He began to turn down invitations. He retreated into his shell, restricting his contacts thereafter to only the fellowship of Jewish Christians. Now, here's Paul. He's watching his children in the faith be dissed by a hero of the faith. And it went all up and down him. Paul bluntly says that he did it fearing them of the circumcision. Peter's example had also spread because he was a leader. It says in verse 13, the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. So that even Barnabas, who was Paul's traveling companion, even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And he began to diss the Gentile believers. Now, remember, Barnabas had been Paul's companion. Even he was carried away. If Paul was disappointed by Peter, he was devastated by Barnabas, who he knew really well. And also, remember, these Gentile believers were Paul's children in the faith, his pride and joy, his constant labor and focus, who he was always writing to and saying, my beloved children, my dearly beloved, I love you in the Christ. I gladly give my life for you. To have Peter treat them this way was like somebody walking up to one of your kids in front of you and just slap them. The she-bear got mad. We can imagine the hurt and confusion in the Gentile camp. <laughs> They'd virtually idolized Peter, and now their idol proved to have feet of clay. Wow. We thought he loved us, and now some of these Jewish brethren come down, and he doesn't know our name. If Paul had not strongly rebuked Peter, a great gulf between the Jewish and Gentile believers would have developed. Paul says of Peter, he was to be blamed. Then Paul launches on a theological message to Peter. Can you imagine being dressed down by Paul theologically? Hello, everybody. Can you imagine being dressed down by Paul, period? Peter, I can imagine going on vacation with. I can't imagine going on vacation with Paul. Hey, let's go parachuting. Can you imagine saying that? Parasailing? Hey, Paul, let's go parasailing. No, I'd rather pray. Peter, he'd be up there parasailing immediately. Now, let's read. It's a little bit lengthy, but I want to read as we close out this chapter what Paul said to Peter. There's some good nuggets in here. He says, when I saw they were not honest about the truth of the good news, what is the truth of the good news, church? Everybody is equal. Everybody is equal. That's the truth of the good news. Everybody's equal. And when I saw that they were not honest about that, Peter and the Jewish brethren, I spoke to Peter right in front of all of them. I said to him, if you're a Jew, but live like the people who are not Jews. In other words, you've been willing to get down and fellowship with the Gentiles and not be Jewish. Then why would you make the people who are not Jews live like the Jews? What's good for the goose is good for the gander. You and I, he says to Peter, were born Jews. We were not sinners from among the people who are not Jews. In other words, we didn't come from the Gentile pagan world. Even so, we know we cannot become right with God by obeying the law. We know that. 
A man is made right with God by putting his trust in Jesus Christ. For that reason, he says, we have put our trust in Jesus Christ also. We have been made right with God because of our faith in Christ and not by obeying the law or works. Here's Paul with his grace-only message. No man can be made right with God by obeying the law. Nobody. As we try to become right with God by what Christ has done for us, he goes on to say in verse 17, what if we find we're sinners also? Does that mean Christ makes us sinners? No, never. But if I work toward being made right with God by keeping the law, then I'm going to find that I'm making myself a sinner because I can't keep the law. And neither can you. Have you ever tried it? Just take the Ten Commandments. Try one day, not breaking one of them. You'll snap. You'll snap. Why was Jesus so precious? Because in his whole life, he never broke one and died a righteous man. Now, he says, the law has no power over me now, says Paul to Peter. I'm dead to the law. Now I can live for God. Now I want us to read verse 20 together. Are you ready? Read it with me and preach it to me. I have been put up on the cross to die with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in this body, I live by putting my trust in the Son of God. He was the one who loved me and gave himself for me. Give God praise for that. That's a great passage. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Then in closing, in verse 21, he says, I say that we are not to put aside the loving favor of God. If we could be made right with God by keeping the law, then Christ died for nothing. In other words, Peter, get off of it. Would you, would you quit getting, uh, hooking up with these Judaizer types with the attitude that we've got to mix law with grace? Peter, hello, get off it. It's grace only, son. By the time Paul was finished with him, weeping, pleading, arguing, and praying, I guarantee you, Peter would be far more afraid of Paul than he ever was of James. <laughs> now, it is to Peter's credit that he honestly repented following the chastisement, and he never held it against Paul. You say, how do you know that? I want to read to you a verse in closing that is so important, because it's going to show you that Simon Peter believed that Paul's writings were scripture. Okay? Watch. 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16. Peter says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our what, brother? This is the guy that rebuked him this way. So can you see that he forgave him? He says, As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. And people say, well, the New Testament is not the word of God like the Old Testament was. No. Peter right here says Paul's writings are scripture. They are the inerrant, God-breathed, inspired Word of God. 
So he forgave him. They made up. The Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians got along. They never separated, never divided, primarily thanks to the great apostle Paul. As Christians, when we decide to follow Jesus, we know that we're living our all for him. But are we truly following his calling? Today, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that God desires for you to live the life that He has called you to live. Even when you feel aimless or don't know what you're supposed to do for His kingdom, He has a divine plan for your life and wants you to become who you are meant to be. Take stock of what burdens your heart and in our brokenness, proclaim His gospel. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard today, we'd like to know. You can call or text us at the following number and share your thoughts. That number to text is 817-484-4767. Once again, that's 817-484-4767. Thanks for being a part of this ministry and helping it continue to be an encouraging and uplifting resource for you and others. In our walk with Christ, It's easy to feel stagnant in our work for the kingdom. We pray, love on others, and try to be the image of Jesus. But are we truly being the light that He wants us to be? Next time, Pastor Jeff wants you to know that if you want to usher those who are lost into His kingdom, all you need to do is simply pray. Instead of getting caught up in the motions of what being a good Christian looks like, quiet your soul and seek God through prayer. There's more Pastor Jeff has to share from the book of Galatians, so be sure to join us again. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can find it online at hardwired.org. We're so glad we could be part of your day today, and we pray you've been blessed by today's edition of Hardwired.